Aren't you glad to have such phenomenal people leading worship? Amen? What a blessing. Well, as you can see, I'm not Ed Lowe. I got more hair. But we're picking on him, and he's not even here to defend himself. But you've got me for the next two weeks. I know that uh, he's busy with the Lord's work and certainly has had a lot to do. And so I'm excited about uh, bringing some messages in the next couple weeks. And so how many of you, you brought your Bible with you this morning? You bring your Bible, right, the sword, so you're ready to go go to battle. Uh, you have your, your notes there in the bulletin. I tried to include uh, just about everything that you would see up on the screen. But today the, the title is Civil Disobedience. And you think, oh boy, what, what is he going to say today? And I'm going to tell you, I'm not quite sure. But hopefully the, the Lord is behind it. The definition of civil disobedience, uh, and they should be on the screen here, is this. It's the refusal to obey governmental demands or commands, especially as a non-violent and usually collective means of forcing concessions from the government. And I believe that as we begin to look at the scriptures this morning, and we're going to do a little bit of a Bible drill uh, some of them we'll be able to read, we won't be able to read all of them, but I believe there is a lot of examples of civil disobedience in the Bible and that we can, we can basically take a page and learn uh, from, from what we have here in front of us. Uh, so every time I'm, I'm doing something, I always say there's always two sides to every coin. So if it's a message about civil disobedience, I think we need to first look at what does the Bible say about obedience? And what does that look like? Because we need to establish that before we move on to the second part. So here's a question. Should we obey those in authority over us? Yes. The answer is always yes. Number one, we should obey the Lord. First and foremost, that is the most important thing. Joshua 24, 24 says this, And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve, and His voice we will obey. He's number one. Beyond our family, beyond our bosses, beyond our government, beyond anything, we need to obey what the Lord is telling us to do, no matter what. That's our baseline. Then there's number two. Obey your parents. Oh, this, this, is, a, this is a tough one here. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Whew. Obey your parents. Now, and you know, have you ever found out that sometimes, you know, I mean, it's hard enough to do as a kid. But I'm looking at some of you, and I know that you're, you're grown up, you have children of your own, and your parents are still alive, and it is tough to still come underneath their authority and obey them. It is very difficult. But what does the Bible say? It talks about, yes, we need to submit to them. They are wise. They have that instruction, and hopefully they've trained you up in that way. Number three. Obey your church leadership. 
another tough one. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Obey the church leadership, those who have been put in authority over you. And see, here I am, I'm preaching a sermon for Ed, he's not even here. You can tell him I was, I was in his corner. Now, I have to tell you about something that happened in the office this week. This was my first week to be in the office full-time, really interact with the staff, I'm moving in, I'm, you know, I'm getting things ready to go. And I want to tell you about a blatant disregard for church leadership. I'm not going to mention any names, Sam Craig. Okay, who's the head of our RCLC, okay? I got my computer working, and you know, when you turn on the computer, there's always a picture in the background. We call that the desktop background. And I chose the most beautiful background. It was, uh, you know, he is risen. I wanted it to be the main, you know, thing, and it's all pent upon the resurrection. It had a nice little verse there, Jesus coming out of the tomb, you know, shards of light everywhere. And I left my office to conduct some church business. And I came back, and I minimized what was on the screen, and the tomb was not there. In fact, I've got to give you some background. I'm a bit of a University of Oklahoma fan, okay? I do root in college football for the Sooners. I know some of you are going to have a hard time with that. You're probably going to have a special call business meeting, vote me out, but that's who I vote for, okay? And, you know, I always say, you know, they're, they're crimson and cream, and the blood of Jesus washed as white as snow. So uh, it's practically, you know, there for me. And I looked at that screen, and you are not going to believe what was on that screen, Oklahoma State University. I mean, there's only one other thing that I could think of that would be worse. I mean, she could have put like UT on there. And I mean, the people that, you know, in prison wear orange. I mean, that's just the way it is, right? But I thought, and so I was wondering who did this. And so I was digging some, you know, digging around and doing some investigating. And the office staff was telling me, we think we saw Sam and some other people from the RCLC in your office and I just want to let you know that if my office is ever locked, there's a reason why. Uh, but no, we, we really should. We, we, those people that have been put in that position have been put in those positions. You voted them in. And so we need to get on board with that vision. And when they ask for, for our help, uh, you know, we need to, as long as it aligns with the Word of God, to get behind them. And that's something that as a Red Baptist Church, for us to move forward, we're going to have to do. Number four. We need to obey those in authority over you at work. Now, some of you may own your own businesses. I don't know what every single one of you do for a living, but I'm pretty sure that uh, somewhere along the way, you probably have a boss or somebody that's in position over you. Colossians 3.22 says this, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Now, I want you to look at that. It says as people pleasers. And I think that you know exactly what that means. We have a fancy term for it. Forgive me for using this, but we, sometimes we call that butt kissing. Okay? 
that's just what it is. You know, those people that they say things, but they don't really mean it. it's totally fake, and they're in your face, and they're smiling, but in the background, they're continually working against you the whole time, and they hate your guts, and they never will just be honest and tell it to your face. But it says, obey those in authority over you with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And last but not least, obey those in government. Well, Romans 13, 1-7 says this. This is a tough, tough verse. It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, the avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, and respect to whom respect is owed. Now, I I know that you know this, but have you noticed that no matter what president is in office, there is a tremendous amount of hostility? Uh, I remember when President Barack Obama was elected, and I know that maybe we certainly disagree on certain ideals and legislation that was passed or whatever, but I also remember hearing this from some of the church people is that God allowed that to happen and he was in a position of authority and there was a certain amount of respect that that office should carry. Likewise, we saw that uh, President Trump was overseas. He was making a speech for D-Day. How many of you guys saw that speech there for D-Day? Okay, and he had uh, met the, the Queen of England and then all of these protests outside and these terrible Balloons and statues were erected of making fun of him. No respect for the authority over them. Have you noticed in our society today that there is a problem with respecting those in authority? Mm. Well, here is the real question. When should we not obey those that are in authority. All of those authority figures that are just mentioned, when should we rebel? Here's the answer. When a command or law asks us to violate any truth or principle found in the Bible, or that same law or command would be in direct violation to our acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is the supreme authority in our lives. Short answer. If it goes against the Bible, or if Jesus told us to do it, and somebody else is contradicting that, we have to listen to God first. got to follow the Scriptures. Amen? Well, let's look at some examples. Just a few that I picked out. And, I mean, you could, you could do a whole 
month worth of sermons on the examples of civil disobedience in the Bible. One of the first ones is found in Exodus 1. You may be familiar with this story. It's where the Hebrew uh, midwives, they saved the Hebrew male babies even though the Pharaoh ordered them to be killed. Now, there's something I want you to think about in this particular story. I want you to think about what those Hebrew midwives were risking. Did they have families? I'm sure they did. Did they have children of their own? I'm sure some of them did. They took a great risk. They were disobeying a command from the highest authority in that land. Let me tell you something, that takes guts. That's something that is not easily done. But they knew, they knew that this is, this is murder. This is wrong. Uh, you know, I, this, all of the pro-life stuff that's been in the news and the cases that have gone recently to the Supreme Court, here's your homework for this week. In my quiet time uh, this week, I was reading in Psalm 22, right before Psalm 22. There's a verse at the end of Psalm 22. Look at it in your own time. But it hit me like a ton of bricks about why God is, is certainly pro-life and why the, the Bible values life. I mean, I, I was thinking about just the example of Mary and Joseph alone, this engagement. They were betrothed, but they were not actually married yet. They had not consummated their marriage. Mary came up pregnant. I mean, if she was living in our society today, a woman in that culture who did not have a husband, who was pregnant out of wedlock, right? You, you know where your mind's going. You know what some people outside of the church would have told her. In Joshua 2, we talk about Rahab. Uh, if you were here for the sermon that Ed preached on Mother's Day, and he preached the most beautiful sermon. If you, if you don't, look it up online. But he was talking about Rahab and how she gets this, you know, oh, she's always referred to as the prostitute. Uh, but how she changed her ways, how she repented, how she winds up in the lineage of Christ. Well, she disobeyed the, the king of Jericho by hiding those spies. Again, the highest authority in the land. And she did that because she feared God. She knew that they, they had rightful claim to that area. First Samuel 14, you have King Saul. He ordered that no one could eat until he had won his battle with the Philistines and then his son Jonathan had not heard about that order, had disobeyed, which he didn't even know. And then he ordered his own son to be killed because he disobeyed. And here's the key word, unknowingly disobeyed. Well, guess what? The people said, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. That's wrong. We're talking about the first king of Israel then. Daniel 3, another very familiar story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There was a decree that came down. When the music plays, you're all going to bow down. You're going to worship the idol. What did they do? Did they bow down? No. They said, we're not going to do that. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. We serve the one true God, no matter what. Daniel 6. They issued a decree. No one can pray. What did Daniel do? He prayed. 
and you ask yourself, can you, can you obey that command? I mean, there was a command, let's say, that they came out today, and they said, no prayer whatsoever. Can we obey that command? Well, what does the scripture say? It says, pray without ceasing. That means nonstop. No, we can't obey that command. You know, people are always telling me, the students, you know, that's so funny, the interaction that I've had with them in the classroom. And they're always talking about prayer in schools, you know, what they can and can't do. And they said, uh, Coach, Coach Gear, can we pray in the classroom? I said, yes, you can. You can read your Bible. You can pray. Do whatever you want to. And, and I said, look, uh, I've had atheists in my class. I've had people from, you know, all different walks of life and different religions. And I, I, every time I give them a test, it's so funny. They forget. They always say, dear Lord, help me with this test. They cry out to him. And I said, look, as long as there are tests, there will always be prayer in school. Always. Well, let's look at each one of those examples and let's look what happened when those who committed civil, civil disobedience, what happened to them? What was the, the ending of each one of those stories? Well, number one, we get back to the Hebrew midwives there. You see, God was good to them. He blessed them. Even though that they were rebelling against Pharaoh and that command, here's what it says in the scriptures. The Jewish people multiplied and their households were blessed. See, they were supposed to be killing the male babies. And what does the scripture say? They multiplied and they were blessed because they followed what the Lord wanted them to do. Well, how about Rahab and her family? They were saved. You remember the scarlet cord, right? You guys know the story. She hung it outside that window there, okay? And they marched around that city, Joshua and Caleb and all of them, and they blew their trumpets and those walls came crashing down. Was, was Rahab saved? Was her family saved? Yes. Yes, they were. How about the third one? What happened with Saul? Well, the people revolted against Saul. They saved Jonathan, and guess what? Not one of them were put to death, even though he was the king. I mean, they united as a group, and they stuck together, and they said, no, we're not going to kill your son for disobeying a command that he didn't even know about? That's ridiculous. That's absurd. Strength in numbers. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Were they saved from the fiery furnace? I believe they were. Now, there's, there's a phrase in there that they said. I love this phrase. They said, even if we aren't, even if we are consumed by the flames, we're going to follow the Lord, no matter what. I love that. Well, they were saved from the fiery furnace. We know they looked in there and they saw four men. Some people believe that it was pre-incarnate Jesus Christ that appeared in there and was with them the entire time. Well, what about Daniel? Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Did the lions eat Daniel? Is that how the story ends? No. The, the lion's mouths were shut, and he was saved. Do you notice a pattern here? There is a pattern of deliverance. And let me tell you something, even if these stories, and these are all good stories and they all have a happy ending, but even if it had not, they'd be in heaven with the Lord. 
You see, it's a win-win for us, okay? There's no, there's no losing for Christians. You do realize that, right? The end of the book, we already win. But the question is, are we going to get into the battle or are we going to fight? Well, one of, my, one of my favorite examples, we go back to that verse in that Romans 13, 1 through 7. And, you know, it talked about, hey, listen, we need to, we need to pay taxes. Nobody likes to hear that. We need to pay taxes. My dad always used to say there's only two things certain in life. You know what it was, death and taxes, right? That's what he said. But there's a story in the Bible, and it's one of my, it's one of my favorite stories, and, and it, it kind of goes along with this, this verse here in Romans. But do you remember when Peter and John, they, they healed a man who was born lame, they were teaching about Jesus and his resurrection, and they arrested him? Did anybody remember that story in the Bible? Okay, you maybe brush up on it there. Well, they brought them before the Sanhedrin, and they had all those important uh, people there, you know, all the big wigs, okay, were there. And they asked him this question, by what power and by what name did you do these things? Well, I got a question for you. When was the last time we ever did anything in our lives and somebody had to ask us, by what power or by what name do you do these things? And here's the answer. By the only name that matters, Jesus' name. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. Because without Him dying on the cross for our sins, there can be no true redemption and salvation. Well, they gave Him a command. Do not speak or teach in the name of Jesus. They knew this man was healed. I mean, there's the evidence is right there. They cannot disprove it. They brought the guy in. I mean, there's no denying it whatsoever. Everybody knew him. They knew that he had been lame his whole life. What do, what do you do with this? Well, look at their answer. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Translation. Who are we going to follow? We're going to follow the world. We're going to follow Jesus. We have that same exact question today. Romans 5.19 says this, For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, but by one man's obedience the many were made righteous. If you want to know why bad things happen, and you can track it back to one story, Adam and Eve, where by one man's disobedience, we fell, sin entered the world, cancer, diseases, death, dying, decay, even nature itself, it all happened at that particular moment. But by one man's obedience, the Christ man, who went to the cross, who gave up his life for us, all of us who accept that will be made righteous. We can stand before God in a white robe and he can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. There's an example uh, that hit me this week. I, was, I ran it when I was looking at the internet and it was talking about the Nuremberg trials. 
The Nuremberg trials was a series of, of cases and they tried these Nazi war criminals for their crimes that they had committed during World War II. Of course, a lot of it had dealt with the Holocaust and the genocide of six million people. And as they were beginning these cases, they were asking these men, you know, you plead your case before the court. Well, here's what they said. They said, we were only following the direct orders of the government, and therefore, we cannot be held responsible for what we have done. Well, Hitler and, and the regime, the Nazi regime, they told us to do this. We were just following orders. Just like being in the military or something else, you have a commanding officer, and they're just giving you any type of command. We just followed it. Therefore, we're innocent in this whole thing. How do you think that went over? Here's what the judge said. I want you to listen to this. This is, this is awesome. The judge that was presiding over it says, I have for that argument one simple question. Gentlemen, is there not a law above ours? Is there not a law above ours? You see, we can, we can amend the Constitution, we can pass billions and billions of laws if that was the case, but there's one law that reigns supreme, and that's the law of Christ. I want to I tell you a story in about this civil disobedience, and when I say this, I want you to think about there might be a way that you might have to encounter one of these scenarios, and I want you to be ready if, if you do. At Boswell High School this year, this last school year, they had a week that was dedicated to the LGBTQ, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, whatever it is, organization. Okay. Now, I want you to think very carefully about, about this. You know, we have a lot of clubs in our, in our school. We have a chess club. What do you think they do there? They play chess. We have a video game club. They play video games. What does the LGBTQ club do? They promote sexual immorality. What do you go to that club for? You go to meet other people that are like you and engage in sexually immoral practices. I mean, think about it. That's why you're there. You would have thought that in a conservative community with Christian parents and churches all the way around, that those kids might have gone home, they might have told mother or dad, they might have, you know, began to spread the word and there should have been a tremendous outcry. And there was nothing. Every time I walk out of my room and I walk across the hall, the teacher that teaches with me in that particular subject area is head of that club. And she's got a sign outside her door that says, King or Queen or anything in between. This is what I deal with every single day. 
Now, can you imagine if we had gone down to the principal and you said, you know what, I think we should have a Bible character week. Let's dress up, let's put signs all over the, the hallway, and let's, on the announcements, share a biblical passage or talk about a biblical story every single day. What do you think would have happened? I bet you that would have been shot down in a heartbeat. Now, you may not teach in, in public education. I don't, again, I don't know what you do for your, your job, but I know this. There's going to come a time where they're going to ask you to do something that's going to violate the Word of God and the principles of which it holds. And my question for you is, are you going to be silent? Are you going to just go along to get along? Or are you going to commit civil disobedience? Are you going to say, no, no matter what, that's wrong because the Bible says it's wrong. It goes against the Word of God, and we're not going to have that. And if you do, what might that mean? I mean, this is, this is a serious thing here. I want you to really think about what the repercussions of your actions might be because of that. Could you lose a job? It's possible. Could you be ostracized by a community, maybe your family? It's possible. Are you willing to pay the price for what it costs? You know, the Lord provides deliverance one way or the other, but what is our responsibility? Do you realize, and I truly believe this in my heart of hearts, the reason why our nation is in the shape that it's in is because the church and the body of believers has been silent too long. It is time for us to stand up and get into the fight. It is time for, if you have extra time on your hands, to get on the school board and to be involved, and you get in every facet of government that you possibly can and begin to make change from within. You are so blessed to live in a nation where you actually have a say in your own government. We are not controlled by a Roman dictatorship. We are not controlled by a Pharaoh. You have this opportunity. It is so precious. But if we don't act now, we're going to lose this fight, this battle. I mean, our, our own founding fathers put this in there. and said, if the government does not represent the people, we have the right to rebel and overthrow the government. It's in our Constitution. I am so burdened for what's going on in our society. Every time I turn on the news, every time I, I see an article, I know that, let me tell you something, they're coming against you, Christians. They're coming against you, church, the world. And that brings me to this one final point. And I don't even know, but the Lord has laid it on my heart. You know, the example of civil disobedience talked about that there were powers and numbers, the, the non-violent, and that as a community that we would come together. Well, I want to propose something to you. We are never going to do that if we are fighting amongst ourselves. If we are fighting, now listen, uh, obviously when you talk about denomination to denomination, we're not going to compromise on God's principles. But we're also not going to die on, on certain hills about this is what Baptists have always done, and this is what the Church of Christ has always done. But if it's in the Bible, we're going to adhere to it 100%. But if we are attacking each other, 
denomination to denomination, or if we are attacking each other inside of the church, we're arguing about the color of carpet, and we're arguing about this and that. Let me tell you something. The only thing that we have is each other. We have to have each other's backs. And we were talking about this morning in Sunday school class, oh, Daniel here. Daniel preached this message earlier. I just stole it from him. He preached the whole thing in, in, in Sunday school, Bible fellowship. But I began to think. I was thinking, you know what? One of these days they are. They're going to make what I just did up here. They're going to turn that into hate speech or they're going to threaten to take away our tax-exempt status or they're going to do whatever it is that they're going to do. And when that day comes, let me tell you something. We have to be ready. If somebody walks through that back door and they're going to take Ed Lowe because he's been preaching the Word of God and the truth from behind the pulpit, I'm going to tell you something. They're going to have to take me too. And I would hopefully say they're going to have to take all of you. It is, it is too late to have mamby-pamby Christians in a weak Christianity. We've seen that, and we've seen where it goes, and we've got churches closing their doors left and right all over the country. Now is the time. Time to stand up, to be bold, to unite, and I believe. You see all these empty chairs that we have? There are a ton of empty chairs and empty seats. Do you believe that out there, that there is a mission field even around Reda Baptist Church, that there are people that believe exactly the same way that we do, they've just been waiting for somebody to stand up and say it. And that person could be you. And you could bring them, and we will be even stronger as we add to our number. You know, my prayer every day for this church is I said, Lord, add to our number daily, but not until we're ready. When we're ready, begin to add to our number. And I know that when we're ready, we will be united as one. And that we're going to say, no matter what, we're going to follow the Scriptures. No, no matter what the, the politicians say, no matter what the world says. Listen, we could come under some tremendous amounts of persecution. I do believe that it is coming. But we must stand. We're about to have our time of invitation, our... Musicians are going to come, they're going to play, they're going to lead us in a song, but I just, I want to challenge you guys this morning. I know that this is a difficult thing, and I know what I'm asking is tough. We don't like conflict. We, you know what, all those examples that we looked at today, they didn't seek out that conflict, did they? The conflict just found them. It, they just got caught up in it because they were simply doing what the Lord told them to do. I know that that's going to be the circumstance here with our people as well. But in the end, I know this. God's deliverance is sweet. It's amazing. And no matter what, if you have Jesus in your heart and you love Him and you put your faith and trust in Him, the Apostle Paul said it best, to live is Christ. To die is gain. Will you stand with me? Whatever decision that you have, whether it's joining the church, whether you need to pray about something, whether you have uh, aught with a brother or sister and you need to get it right, whatever the Lord is telling you today, this would be the time. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for the service today. Lord, we thank you for the people that are here that decided to make you a priority and come to Red Baptist Church. 
Lord, as we have learned that it's, there's some difficult situations, we know that the world is going to do what the world is going to do. But most importantly, we have to listen to you and your word above anything else. I pray, Lord, that we would have a spirit of boldness as a church and as a people. I pray, Father, that we would always stand with the Word of God here at Retta, that traditions, they're fine and dandy, but that's not what we're going to die on. We're going we're to follow the Word of God no matter what. Lord, I just pray that Your Spirit would just fall on this place, fall on our people. Lord, be with our church. I know that there's so many needs, there's so many things going on out there, Father, but I know that You know each and every one of them and that You have the answers. Lord, just be with us in this time and for the rest of the service. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.